as the kids head off, I just want to thank everybody, those of you that are here for the service, but also the adaptability that we've seen and are having come to fruition, is that there were a number of people that were um, on schedule to help out with things this morning that were not able to make it for numerous reasons, and people stepped up just to fill in. So that's what we need. We need to see the body of Christ coming together that, you know, unforeseen things happen and people have to fill the void. Thank you, Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, those of you that stepped up and did what needed to be done. That's how the church needs to function. Um, as you're singing the songs, maybe a little bit of a rhetorical question, but are you paying attention to the words you're singing? The second song, second to last song that we were singing there, it says we're overcome by your presence. Yeah. Okay. That's why we come here, yeah. is to have his presence just overcome us. Right. That we want to leave this place different than we came in, and the only way that happens is by his presence just totally, if you will, obliterating us if it needs to be. It says, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to minister to us, to teach us, to show us the things that we need to know and learn. And it says he will flood and fill the atmosphere. Okay. Right now we're breathing oxygen, nitrogen, all the different gases that are in the natural air that we need to keep alive. But as a spiritual being, we need to be breathing in God's presence. The Holy Spirit, one of the, um, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is pneumo which is where we get the word long air, all those things. So we need to literally be breathing in God's presence constantly. So this morning when we're all here, that's what we want to be doing is be breathing in God's presence so that it's sustaining us, so it's making us thrive, not just, not just being alive, but he actually wants us to thrive yeah. and become more than we've ever become before. So that's my introduction. wasn't even part of my notes my message that I had ready for this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, all the other elders, the other five elders, they came up here and they introduced themselves, told them a little bit about themselves. I was not here. Any of you missed me that day? I was not standing up here when the other five elders. Okay. Um, if you would, put up a picture of my grandson. That's my excuse. His Ann and I, my wonderful wife, if she would stand, so that she's, yes. <laughs> my wife, Ann, that God has blessed me with almost 32 years now that we've been married. Um, that's part of my story is what God's done through our marriage. Yeah. Um, but little Callum, Jacob, um, our third child, their first child, um, was born two and a half weeks ago now. And we went down to welcome him to the world. And what I want you guys to see and understand with even the things I talked about with the um, songs that we're playing is we need to look around and God will teach us in so many different ways. Things that we take for granted sometimes, you know, a, you know, a newborn baby. Put Callum back up there. <laughs> As we were down there visiting and, you know, just, you know, enjoying, you know, the presence of our new grandson, our third grandchild, um, I was holding him in my arms, obviously, holding him in my hands, just a tiny little thing. Um, it made me think of 26 years ago. Our son Jacob is, our, again, our third child. He's 26 years old now. 
And there's Jacob and myself and Callum, th three generations there. Um, one of the things God's done with me over these last few years, he's given me emotions. Okay? Didn't have them, checked them before, didn't think I needed them, suppressed them. Um, having children, having my wife has definitely helped me over the years, but it's over these last few years, it's really something he's working on me, is emotions are good. They show you that you're alive. Um, as I was holding Callum and looking at my son, when Jacob was a baby, when, you know, 25 years ago, is there was a particular song that I really started liking. Um, when he was being fussy or something, I would hold him and I would dance with him. And the song was, it's called Pass the Flame. And it was by John Elefante. And I'm just going to read some of the verse to you. And it says, 3 a.m., a baby boy, a new life began. I held him in my arms and knew one day he'd be a man. And soon I'd have to tell him that the world is not our home. <clears throat> we must not give our life, or we must give our lives to Jesus. We are not our own. But for now, just let me hold you a little while. Let me adore you while you sleep. Thank you, Lord, for such an angel. Make him yours to keep. And when I whispered in his ear, there is something you must hear. Any way the wind blows, don't you think that God knows? We must pass the flame. We must pass the flame. We are the light in a darkened world. We are the fire on the arrow. We must pass the flame. Okay. So that's a song that I used to hold Jacob, you know, my 26-year-old son who... He's still a little shorter than me, but he's much more muscular than I am. So he's not a little baby anymore. He's a man. And as I was holding Callum, and that song came back to my mind, the verse where it says, one day you'd be a man, it was real. It was real to me that the son that I had once held like a little baby had raised up into a man, and now he was holding his little baby. And so when it talks about we have to pass the flame, not just my children, but anybody that we come into contact, we have to be passing what God has given to other people. Yeah. We have to pass the flame. We are to be the light in this darkened world. And if anybody doesn't think this is a darkened world, open your eyes. Okay. Look at what's happening in Israel right now. Okay. God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, sanctioned by God, and they're under severe attacks. Okay. We're to stand with the nation of Israel, with the, you know, the Abrahamic covenant. We're to be a blessing to them. So if you can do nothing more than pray for them, that's what we should be doing. And one of our um, friends of the fellowship, everybody, or some of you may not know him, he hasn't been here in a while, Dove Ben Zion. Some of you recognize the name. Um, Dove has two children right now serving in the IDF that are in Israel right now. And so that's the reality of it is this is a darkened world that doesn't matter what your stance is, whether you're a, you know, a full sold-out Christian or just somebody that attends church on a regular basis, is the enemy does not want you here. The enemy does not want Israel to prosper. And so he's going to do things to try and destroy things. You know, that's what he does, steal, kill, and destroy, right? So we just need to look around and see the things that are happening in our lives. Um, you know, he does hate families. So that's why, like I said, you know, looking at my little grandson there, it just it reinforces how strong we have to be in rebuilding families, how we have to be very deliberate 
in making sure that families are not being broken apart, that families are becoming closer than ever they were, and not just your biological family. I mean, when we look around this place right now, however many of you are sitting here right now, those of you over in the cafe, online, wherever you happen to be, is we need to start thinking of ourselves as a family. That we're looking out for each other. That we're not just satisfied with, well, I've got five kids, three grandkids, and a wonderful wife. I don't need anybody else. Okay, They're my priority. But I also need to be looking around this sanctuary and say, who are the people that God has joined together coming here on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights? So there is so much more to this life than coming here on a Sunday morning. Um, again, the other elders got the opportunity to talk about themselves and introduce a little bit of what's going on. Um, I'm actually the newest elder. I've only been an elder for about six, seven months now. So I'm new to that part of the transition, the team here. But I'm also the oldest staff member at this point. So newest elder, and not, bio, you know, not biologic old. I've been on staff, I think, at this point, the longest of anybody else that's in the church right now. Some of you may not know that. Um, the things that I do were kind of behind the scenes. You didn't see me up here very often. It is for going on 13 years now, I've been leading the discipleship classes. I've been leading what we call the ISOM classes. Yeah. I've been doing that for 13 years, and a lot of you have been through the classes with me. You know, you've seen what goes on there. So that's been my primary ministry, if you will. And I was actually brought onto staff 13 years ago as an associate pastor. And so I actually have a moment I want to repent to all of you sitting here right now, is that I did not fulfill that call on my life. Is that God called me to step up and be a pastor, and my wife even... Um, you know, laughs at me sometimes because a lot of times I just refer to it as the P word. I didn't even want to say it. Okay. But God's given me a heart that I want to be able to disciple people, that I want to come together with people and, you know, raise you up in Christ. And so for years, um, I resisted that. I kind of allowed myself to be just, you know, in the ice I'm teaching. Okay. I'm stepping up into what God's called and what this church needs is we need people that are going to step up and do things. Like this morning is a good example. Those of you that jumped in and filled in in these greeters in the coffee shop, whatever it happened to be down in the nursery, is we need that ability is when we see something that needs to be done, just step up and do it. So my heart and my direction for being here today, and you know, Julie said that about um, she didn't want to come up here this morning. How many of you ever said that? I don't want to come up here this morning. You know, even if it's just to, you know, bring things to the altar, okay, is we need to get beyond the fears. We need to get beyond worrying about what other people will say or think about us. Um, the, one of the classes that we're leading, it's on parenting right now. It's called Legacy Class. And one of the things that they talked about in that class is those of you that are in the class do not answer this question. But what is the most frequent command in the Bible? Okay, somebody said something. Okay, the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. So does God know what we need to be dealing with? Fears? Okay, so fear not, he says numerous times over and over again. You know, even when angels are prepared to people, they said, fear not. You know, because if you have an angel appear in front of you, it's going to be something so glorious and so overwhelming that you're going to, you know, in the natural, you're going to fear. 
because you don't understand what you're seeing. And so we're told numerous times to fear not. Um, and I'm also going to be trying to do something differently is when I've been preparing the messages before, I usually go through my Bible. And how many of you brought your Bibles? Yeah. Your physical paper Bibles. Okay. All right. That's my challenge again. If you remember a few weeks back or a month ago, whenever, is I'm encouraging you to actually bring this thing with you. If you've got it on your phone, fine. But this is more deliberate. This is something that you actually have to think about and say, I'm going to bring the Word of God with me Amen. everywhere I go. Um, what I usually do is I go through and any scriptures I'm going to use, I go ahead and mark them so it's easy for me to find them. But then I realize that that's not fair to you guys because while it's easy for me to flip to where my marker is, you're having trouble finding where I'm at. And so turn to Isaiah 58. So find Psalms and Proverbs and go to your right just a little bit. Isaiah 58. And this is a verse I saw, again, years and years ago, probably, probably even a couple decades ago, and just really struck me is reading through that. Um, in this one, um, God is talking to Isaiah, and he's talking about fasting. And a lot of you don't like that word anyhow, fasting. But God says to him, is this not the fast that I have chosen? And so ignore the fasting part of it. And let's concentrate on what the rest of it is. And this is what I see this church becoming and needing to be. Is in Isaiah 58, 6, it says, Is this not the fast I have chosen for a day for, day for a man to afflict his soul, to bow down his head? I'm actually in five, so yeah. Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. As we fast, that's what God's saying should be happening. That as we live our life, this is what should be happening. That as we're... There we go. These are the kind of things that should be happening on a regular basis in the church, in your lives, is that heavy burdens should be getting released. Oppression, the oppressed should be getting set free. That's what the altar time is for. That's what the worship time is for, is for these things to be happening. It's not just a time to come and spend a couple hours on a Sunday morning singing some songs and maybe hearing some Bible stories. I'm not about telling you Bible stories. The reason God has asked me to do the things I'm doing right now is to challenge us to raise up, to grow up and to be mature Christians so that we can do the works of His ministry. One of the songs that um, I may have been the last one, Champion, He's called us to take His victory. To work for him. And if you look again in scripture, um, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was supposed to be introducing myself, wasn't I? Got off track. Um, God's just given me so many things over these last few days that it took me a while to organize myself. But um, so again, the question I ask is um, you know, if I've been called to act as a pastor, to be a, you know, a shepherd of the, you know, the sheep, what is a pastor? It's not a title. It's something that I should be doing. It's something that we should be doing. And one of the verses that I've used and adapted for ISOM is Ephesians 4.12. And right before that is 4.11. And it's what most people call the fivefold ministry. And it refers to the five different um, teaching positions or the positions within a church that every church needs to be healthy. And they're apostles, 
prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So that's the fivefold ministry. And for a church to be effective and working the way it's supposed to be, those five gifts or ministries need to be in place. And what is the purpose of those ministries, those fivefolds? Okay. The answer is 412. To equip the saints to do the works of ministry. Yeah. Again, common question. I've asked it to many of you before. Who are the saints? Okay, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've been saved by his blood and you've been repented, you're a saint. So Ephesians 4.12 says, my job as a pastor, as an elder in this church, is to equip you, the saints, to do the works of ministry. What are the works of ministry? Heal the sick, break the bonds, set the oppressed free, restore marriages, that's the works of ministry. So the trouble a lot of churches get themselves into is they rely on one person to do it all. That's why pastors burn out. That's why pastors can no longer go the course. is because they're doing it all and the people expect them to do that. My challenge to you this morning is that's not what we're about. We're about you becoming equipped so that you can do the works of Jesus. And the works of Jesus can happen here, but they need to happen outside these four walls. They need to happen out wherever you're employed, wherever you're going to school. And as I say that, welcome back to all you college students that are done with your semesters back for the summer for, with us. But when you're at school, you know, when you're on you know, your track team, your sports team, whatever, band, whatever you're in, is your works of ministry are wherever you're at. And so we need to take that to the point where we're embracing what God's called us to do, is that you guys are the saints. You're the ones that are be doing the works of ministry. And as we learn these things, we need to put them into action. Not just learn them. You know, James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And again, so many things that if you pay attention and look around, you're gonna hear things that you had never realized before. Um, before I was a Christian, um, listened to all kinds of different music, mainly rock music. My dad grew up listening to what we now consider classic rock. And I heard a song playing um, in a store, I think we were in a store the other day. And it was a song by the Guess Who. And that's not, I'm not asking you a question. Okay, that's actually the band's name, the Guess Who. And it was a song from 69, and it was called Undone. And a couple of the verses in it really struck me. Um, it said, she wanted truth but all she got was lies. Okay, and then the next part was what really hit me. Too many churches and not enough truth. So here's a secular band back in the 60s during the height of you know, the countercultural revolution and a lot of you know, just weird things. Those of you that were you know, alive then kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, I was only five then, so I don't remember it too well. Um, but too many churches and not enough truth. That's, true. okay. That's where we need to be, is not so many churches, but the churches that are in existence, are we speaking the truth? And John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth, and it will set you free. But you have to know the truth. You have to allow the truth to come into your life and act on you. And that's the only way it's going to set you free 
is if you allow it to. So whatever your bondage is, whatever you're you know, dealing with today, and again, if you don't have bondage, if you're not oppressed by anything, you're up next week. Okay? You're going to be teaching us. You're going to be telling us how you've been set free of all of the things, the issues that are happening in your life. Okay? We all have issues. You know, I'm going to lump you all together with myself. We all have issues. And the only way to be set free from those things is to allow the love of Christ to break those things out of our lives, to soften our hearts, to receive the truth that he has for us. And again, so as I was preparing the message and, you know, our theme for the, you know, this last month, few weeks has been building life on the rock. And as I was reading some different notes that I'd had taken down, um, I read a short article in this little magazine and it says, does my sermon matter? And as I was reading through the article, the guy's point was, am I speaking, speaking things on Sunday morning that are actually impacting people's lives? Am I speaking truth to them? Am I hitting them? And I don't mean hitting you, you know, in that way. But are they hitting you in the issues that you're dealing with? Because if I'm just telling you nice stories, if I'm just reading, you know, we can go back to flannel grams and Sunday school and teach you Bible stories. And those are important. But we're all adults here now. Okay, a few of us are a little younger than adults there. But we need to be hearing things that are going to change us. They're going to make us more into the image of Christ. And if we're not doing that, if I'm not doing that, if whoever's giving the message, if the you know, worship team is not giving you songs that are making you think, that aren't touching you in your very spirit, we're not doing our job. And so that's my calling to myself, my challenge to myself, is I, am I giving you messages that are going to actually impact your life? Am I going to give you something that you're going to walk out of here today and say, I understood that. There's something in me that has to be given over to Christ. Um, and that's what it comes down to is just surrender. Um, another one of the songs that they were singing talked about, you know, giving it unto Christ. Um, who knows the difference between ownership and stewardship? If you own something, it's your possession. It's yours to do whatever you want with, right? What's stewardship? Okay. Say, you know, trivial, but Henry, I'm going to loan you my pen. Please take care of it. He's going to come take it. All right. I want it back. Okay. But Henry's job is to be a steward over it. He's not, I'm not giving him ownership of it. He's just to take care of it. He can use it. He can do what needs to be done with it. But it's not his to hold on to forever. We need to see that in our own lives. Do I own myself? No. Okay. Well, I'm glad you all think that. Okay. The struggle we have, and again, I'm speaking for myself, but the struggle I have is this is my life. I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm going to live like I want. I'm going to say the things I want. I'm going to listen to the things I want because it's my life. But as a Christian, what is my life? <coughs> Romans 12 says that we're to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, right? Give ourselves completely unto God. We're also told 
is that I've been bought with a price. Turn to 1 Corinthians. See, aren't you glad I don't have it marked? So it takes me a little bit of time to get there. Give everybody else a little bit of time to find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23. It says, You are bought with a price. Be not servants of men, therefore. What's the price that I was bought for? That you were bought for? Jesus offered himself as a ransom for my life. Because what I deserve is to die on the cross. Or to die in my sins. Because there's nothing I can do. I don't have enough life in me. Enough years on this earth to be righteous in God's eyes. Because of the sins I've committed. Because of the sin nature that's in me. Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm going to die in your place on the cross and he bought me back from hell. Amen. So when it says in 1 Corinthians 7.23 that I have been bought with a price, that means this life that I now have is not mine to do what I want to do with. If any of you think I want to be standing up here talking to you in my flesh, No. I do not. Okay. But because I've been bought with a price, I'm no longer the owner of this life. I'm a steward over this life that God has given me back. And so as a steward, I'm to do what my owner tells me to do. And so looking around this room, I want each one of you to think about yourself. Are you in charge of your life? Are you in ownership of who you are? Or are you merely a steward over what Christ has done for you. So if you're a steward over the life that God has given you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to continue struggling with the issues you have? Or are you going to give them over to Him? Saying, in my own power, I can't do anything. I can't heal my broken heart. I can't restore my marriage. I can't do whatever the issue is that's in your life. You can't do it in your own power. But through the power of Christ, all things are possible. There's nothing beyond his capacity to heal, to make right, to restore. It's in his power. It only requires me to say, I give it up. I surrender it. So that's the challenge as we go forth today, is giving it over to Christ. It's, it's simple to say it. And the, you know, the series that we've been talking about, Building Life on the Rock, is... How do you build a life on the rock? You know, a few weeks ago, I talked out of Matthew chapter 7, or 5 through 7 in Luke 6. And we talked about, if you would put the um, Tillamook Lighthouse up there. The original one, the one from the series. It's not in there? All right. Um, anyhow, you remember that slide, I hope, the one with the um, lighthouse on the rock and the water splashing up over it. There we go. Okay, If they just set that thing on top of the rock, would it still be standing? No. Okay, eventually the storms would, no, doesn't matter how heavy that thing is, eventually the storms would have pushed it off there. And as we look at that picture, I want you to think about a couple things. What's the purpose of the lighthouse? What did they build there? And as one thing I also want you to think about is what's not there? 
as you're looking at that, I mean, this is about a mile off the coast of Oregon, obviously gets battered by waves. It has a singular purpose, and that's to be a beacon of hope for sailors that were out on the seas in that time. So do you see any gardens on that rock? Any gazebos or you know umbrellas, fancy things like that? Okay. They wouldn't do any good, would they? They would not help that thing do its function. And just a real brief history on this as I was reading on it and just the things that you know, God teaches us when we look into them is it took them over seven months to level the top of that rock off to make it flat to build a structure. Okay. Seven months of weathering storms while they were on the rock. There was one point <clears throat> it said that there was 10 men on there doing the work and a storm came in and wiped everything off. And they were stranded on that rock for 16 days without any ability to be rescued or even resupplied. Okay. They had to ferry things over from the mainland and build a boom system and a crane to be able to get the heavy stuff up there. It took them over um, 200 days. Once the top was leveled off, seven months to do that. It took them 200 days to actually construct the lighthouse. And they said at today's cost, it was about one, I think it was $1.2 million to build that thing. If it had been built today, it was built back in the 1880s. Okay. All of those things don't matter to the sailor out on the sea. What does the sailor care about? It's a dark and stormy night. Okay. 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 Everybody get my Snoopy reference there? Dark and stormy night. Just imagine you're a sailor back in the late 1800s on a ship sailing north up the Pacific Ocean here. Dark and stormy, you're getting seasick, all the different things happening, and then all of a sudden you see a flash of light, and every five seconds you see that flash of light. What's that tell you? Okay. That tells them, they actually knew by the pattern of the light they could tell you exactly where they were, because every lighthouse in the United States has a different pattern. And so they would know that if they see a flash every five seconds, they must be near the Tillamook Lighthouse at the north coast of Oregon. And they knew that when they saw that, they had 20 more miles to go before they could get to the Columbia River and get into the Columbia River in the safe haven of Portland, Oregon. And so as they're sailing up that coast and they see that beacon of light, that hope, it tells them they're almost where they need to be. Do they care? that it cost the government $1.2 million to build that thing? Do they care that it took seven months to blast the top off that thing? The only thing they care is that it's doing its job. Okay? You encounter people every day in your life, broken marriages, broken lives, addictions, whatever it happens to be. Do they care how long you've been a Christian? Do they care that you read your Bible every single day? Do they care that you come here on a Sunday morning every week faithfully? They could care less. All they care about is, are you doing what you were created to do? And that's sharing the love of Christ. So if God has saved you and he puts somebody in your path that has a broken marriage, that has addictions, has tr trouble with their children, whatever it happens to be, they don't care about what it took for you to get to that place where you're standing beside them. All they care is that you're doing what you were created to do and you're embracing them, walking through it with them. So as we build the life on the rock, the reason we're building our lives on the rock is because 
if you step into someone else's storm, you better be anchored, right? I mean, I'm sure every one of you has seen a movie or, you know, um, what's the movie with Costner and Guardian? Guardian. Anybody ever seen the movie Guardian? It's about the Coast Guard up in Alaska. One of the things that they teach the recruits is when you go in to rescue someone, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, sometimes you've got to knock them out because the person that's drowning is desperate. And if you come swimming up alongside them, they're going to grab hold of you and they're going to pull you down because they're in so much fear and they're so desperate that you'll save them. And so sometimes you've got to subdue them. Okay? You've got to knock them out maybe. To, to save their life, you may have to do that. You know, I'm not saying we're not going to be doing that, people. Okay? <laughs> My point with that is you better be anchored into the rock solidly so that when their storm comes into your life, when you allow their storm to come into your life, you're not going to fall with them. You've got to be solidly anchored into who you are, who Christ created you to be, and the things that he has taught you. So how do we get anchored into the rock? Okay. The simplest answer is spend more time in the Father's presence. Okay, That's the simple answer. But how do we actually do that? And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks is getting into that a little more in depth, is how do you anchor yourself deeply into the rock? And if any of you remember, um, I talked about Lalabella, the Ethiopian churches, that they actually excavated down into the rock. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to accomplish is we want to dig ourselves down into the rock so that we're part of it, so that we're indistinguishable from the rock, so that we're indistinguishable from Christ. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be exploring that more in depth as what does that actually look like? Spending time with God, that's an easy answer. That's, but how do we actually do it? What do we need to do? And one of the things that, again, we'll be talking about from time to time is the th- Three of the basic principles or three core values that this church is living on, is built on, is worship, the word, and prayer. Okay. So those are things that we're going to be looking at in depth, actually fleshing them out, saying, how do we actually make these things real in our lives? Because, again, with what you're seeing right there, building life on the rock, is hurricanes are coming. Storms are coming. And if we're not solidly anchored onto that rock, we're going to get tossed to and fro. And what good are we to a dying and lost world if we're not stable? And so this church, speaking for PF, all the other churches, hopefully they're doing the exact same thing, is we need to become a place where people can come and bring their burdens, bring their issues, and find healing, can find comfort, and not just hear a good story not just hear some nice music. And again, you know, putting the same burden on you know, the worship team is if they're just up here doing a nice performance and it's not drawing you into the presence of God, that's not what it's about. My message, whether anybody got anything out of this or not, the message that I am to bring, that the people next week are to bring, is it needs to be impacting you where you're at. And if we're t- um, not addressing the issues the needs that people have, to be blunt, we're wasting our time. Okay. Anybody in here want to waste your time? Do no. you want me to waste your time? Okay. So we need to be firmly anchored in the rock, and the only way to do that, again, is spending time with God 
giving ourselves over to him and allowing him to change and transform us into his image. So, if Kurt, you playing keyboards for me? All right. So as I close right now, I believe next week there's going to be a more thorough teaching on worship. And in a couple weeks, I'll be back up again and be teaching more on prayer, teaching on um, the word itself. And ask you to come every single week, not just when I'm up here, and I've asked this, challenged you with this a couple times, is come here on Sunday morning expecting something. Come here expecting to meet with God, that his presence will be here waiting for you to flood you, to overwhelm you, to just free you. You know, we need to meet Christ. We need to meet him where we're at so that from this day forward, you can look back six months from now and say, I'm not the same person I was as I was then because Christ has changed me. You know, we need to be that beacon. We need to be the lighthouse that the world can see, that they know that there's hope out there, that they're close to a safe haven a safe harbor. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. Whatever your other work is, whatever your other responsibilities are, all of them need to come from the strength that you have in Christ. Because again, doing it in my own power and my own flesh, I'm going to fall short every time. But through Christ, I can do all things. So if you will, let's all stand today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for the love that you've given us, and I thank you that your word is true. Lord, that you are that rock that we need to be anchored securely into, that we need to give our lives completely to, that you may transform us into the vessels, into the beacons of hope, the light that people need in this world, that you've created us for a purpose for this time, let us embrace that. Lord, I thank you for every single person that's gathered here today, and not just in this church, but any place that they're preaching the word, that they're inviting you into their presence. Lord, we just ask you to do a work in this body that will truly be raised up to become what this world needs. That all of us here, Lord, we just give you the glory, we give you the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.